ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. I'm Scott Prather. It's a great Scott show, and uh, whenever he comes on, we at some point we're going to incorporate a third Scott just to make it really weird. But uh, Scott Shanley, at some point you got to get your boy Fajita on with me. I'll just loop you guys in. Former Saints linebacker and Super Bowl champ Scott Shanley. Scott, good morning, man. How are you? Get on here. He, he's a lot busier than I am. He's now a principal in a, at a school in California, so he's got a lot of great stories. But he's staying busy these days. Wow. See, I guess I guess we have to bring him on in the summer. So I didn't know that. I know you guys are still close, and you've told me in the past that a lot of Saints from the Super Bowl winning team are still on a text thread. But I had no idea that he was a high school principal. Man, good for him. That must. That's. Look, I just I have three kids, and I know you do as well, Scott. I can't imagine having to be principal of a whole school. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I think you know he he was asked if he would like to do it, and I think there's days where he wonders why he does it, but he also shares a lot of great stories about um, just interacting with the kids. And you know, it's it's one thing to live out your childhood dream of playing, going to college, going to the NFL, winning a Super Bowl, but. To, to make a difference in kids' lives, I think that's very rewarding. And I did it, you know, coaching sports and coaching my boys, and he's doing it on a bigger level with, with high school kids. And I know he's really liking it, though. I can't – I mean, I'm, I'm guessing he probably doesn't talk to the kids like Greg Williams talked to you guys. <laughs> no, that's the one thing. You know, we, uh, we joke about that all the time because not only Greg but our linebackers coach, Joe Vitt, you know, there were days where we would count how many four-letter words he would drop in a meeting and – we would have a running tally, and it was a running joke in our in our linebacker room. But, you know, those guys, they had great messages, but their delivery was a little strong. So we had to filter out all the great messages and try to redirect them to the appropriate age level that we're working with now. Basically, Scott Shanley, I guess, basically you guys were the equivalent of trying, like, like the Big Lebowski, right? Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. So if you ever see it on, like, TBS or TNT, like basic cable, it's like, you know – <laughs> Walter's not really saying this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. Like the challenge of trying to edit a movie that has quite a few four letter words and make it okay enough to put on TV. That's what you guys have to do when you're trying to relay a message to young kids that you once learned from Greg Williams and Joe Vitt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. When I talk to the, those guys and uh, you know, I, have, I thank Greg and I thank Joe for everything they've taught me and all the messages and you know, just getting us ready week in and week out to play football and play hard for one another. Um, you know, I told Joe, I enjoyed giving those messages back to the youth football teams I was coaching. And he just looked at me and he stared at me kind of wide-eyed, like you you're uh, editing these messages. Right. And I said, Oh yeah, for, for sure. So it's, it's funny that we all look back and laugh at it now, but we enjoyed going to work. I mean, it never winning probably helped that, but, I loved, we loved going to the locker room. We loved sitting in our meeting rooms. We were there 10 to 12 hours a day sometimes, but it never felt like a long day because we enjoyed being around the people we worked with. Scott Shanley, our guest, ESPN 1420. Well, I know of like uh, the, the defensive players that came through the Saints, you know, whether it be the 06 season, which you and I have discussed, obviously the Super Bowl season, you know, between Fujita and Jolan and, Mark Simino and, 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 you know, Jonathan Vilma and a lot of different guys. Correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but you, for, you lasted the longest. I mean, you were, you were there a long time. And, um, you know, did you ever kind of look around that room and be like, man, I, I'm, I'm kind of the, the last man standing here. 
Oh, oh, for sure. And, you know, my linebackers coach, Joe Vitt, he, he joked to me all the time. He's like, Shanley, I've coached over 30 years in the NFL, and I've coached you longer than any other player. And he kind of laughed and said, I'm not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing. And we always got a kick out of it. But, yeah, I mean, even now, like you alluded to, we have a chat, and we have tons of players on there who are no longer playing. And, and I'm kind of the glue that, you know, I'll throw out a story, and half the group is like, well, I wasn't there for that. So it's it's funny because I get to – you know, tell the story of 06 all the way through 2012. And there were a lot of pieces in there, like, you know, for Fujita, he left after the Super Bowl. So there's a lot of things that happened after that, that we talk about. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that I was able to stay there that long and, and, you know, blessed. I was able to stay healthy, which gave me a chance to compete for jobs every single year. Scott Shanley, our guest, ESPN 1420 Super Bowl week. We got a lot of player interviews for you this week from guys that played in the game. Some won it, some lost it. Scott was part of a winning team in the big game. We'll get to that a little later. I, I wanted your thoughts, Scott, on, you know, I watched you on Cox Sports Television with Deuce and, and Victor and Mike Neighbors. I listened to the podcast that you and Mike ba- Neighbors do, been there, done that. Um, Steve Spagnuolo, one year in New Orleans, and you've been critical of his approach in that season. Greg Williams there for a few years. You guys win the Super Bowl. Fast forward to now, Greg Williams, a.k.a. Dr. Heat, as many people like to call him, um, you know, gets blistered by the media for the call at the end of that Jets game, and he's fired. And then you got Spagnola, who's, you know, part of a Super Bowl-winning team and, and getting praised a lot. Are you kind of surprised at where those guys' careers are now, or is that just the NFL? Like, like it's it's not based on – maybe one necessary skill set of a coordinator. It's kind of all the, the parts around him. Yeah, for sure. It's all the parts around him. And I think it's about, you know, players and coaches can both say it's about opportunities and being put in, in a good position to succeed. And, and, you know, for Steve in 2012, I mean, he just, he did not fit into to what we had there for players, for personnel, for our mindset as a group. We were, we love playing man. We love blitzing. We love being attacking defense. He came in and it was more zone and sit back and concepts were completely different. But the, I think the biggest issue we had with Steve was his, his unwillingness to listen to the players and to, to bend. And there were countless times he came in the meeting room and, you know, basically point the finger and, you know, this defense has worked. We, I've won a Super Bowl, and it was very off putting for a lot of guys. And I think a lot of guys shut down on Steve because of that. And, you know, it was just, it was a lot of blame that went around, but when you compare, you know, Steve and, and Greg, and I think to me, Greg is a much better defense coordinator. He was much more fun to play for, but you know, if you throw, if you throw Spags in Cleveland for a couple of years and then throw him in the, with the Jets with personnel that, I mean, I can't even name three starters on the Jets defense. I think the same situation, he's probably looking for a job and put Greg with Kansas city in a functional organization with Andy Reid and, he's probably doing the same thing Steve's doing. So a lot of things go hand in hand. I don't think you can ever really judge uh, a coach, you know, based on, on Super Bowls, just because sometimes it's all about getting in the right situation. And if Spags, you know, let's say that, that all the bounty gate nonsense never happened or the NFL, you know, actually took a, an appropriate approach to that. And Sean Payton was with you guys that season. Are things probably a little different being that, you know, Spagnola's not dealing with two different interim coaches and maybe doesn't have, you know, he's got a guy there that's kind of looking over him and saying, you know what, this, listen, listen to the players. Uh, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, had we had Jonathan Millman in the room and, and coach Payton said, Hey, what's going on on that side of the ball? And, and somebody like that or Will Smith or a team captain said, you know, he's just not giving us enough input. And we went from a defense where Greg was like, listen, I'm going to call the play on the sideline. 
but you guys are, are good enough. You're smart enough players that if something looks different out there, go ahead, listen to 51. If he checks it, everybody play it. So going from that to heck no, you're going to run exactly what I'm calling. There are no audibles on defense was hard for, for guys to adjust to that. Um, but I think, you know, I'm not so sure things would have played out different with, with Coach Payton there. I know there would have been more organization, more structure. Spags had been a head coach. He came off being a head coach. And maybe it would have been easier for him to kind of put get put in his place a little bit more. But I just know, you know, when Coach Payton came back from his suspension, I, I know it took a week for him to sit in those meetings. And, you know, basically what I heard was, you know, Steve said, was just listen off players. This guy can't play. This guy can't play. You go down the list, Pro Bowl players like Malcolm Jenkins. And once Coach Payton heard that, he's like, this guy's got to go. It was just too much blame for for him to accept him coaching his defensive players. Scott Shanley, our guest. Scott, I didn't even plan on asking you about 2012. It just, I don't know how we got here. So I I, I wanted to talk to you about good stuff. And, uh, you know, obviously a, a, a long tenure career in the NFL, a lot of winning with the Saints. And, um, going to get you know uh, old Super Bowl stories which I love but before that what what's your take on the last just the the last of this great era of Drew Brees I listened to you guys on the podcast and uh, and I know he hasn't announced anything yet but all signs are pointing that way it's a daunting offseason coming up but um, that guy I know he's a friend of yours uh, that era I don't know what the next era of Saints football is going to be called but I know from 06 to 2020, and this this is no disrespect to you or any of the players that came through, but I think in time people will just refer to it as that Peyton Breeze era, right? Because uh, they were there for so long and a part of it. I don't know what the next era is going to be called, but I, I, I feel like the end of an era ended a few weeks ago. Not to say the team's going to be bad or anything like that moving forward. It's just there's going to be an adjustment period. What's your overall take on on Breeze's career in New Orleans? You know what he meant to you guys, that team, and and where the Saints go from here. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about Drew Breeze and what he's meant, it's it's hard to sum up in in few words without going on and on about everything he brought to the facility and brought to the locker room and brought to the competitive environment on the field. And I mean, very few players can say that they did what he did for a franchise. And and I've, I've always said the Hall of Fame is full of, of great players, all-time great players. But to me, there's almost a separate wing of the Hall of Fame where certain other players should reside. And I'm talking guys like Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Jerry Rice, guys who completely changed the game. And, and I say that about Drew because the big argument about Drew is, well, he didn't win enough rings. In the last four years, he couldn't get over the hump and win a ring. It, it is the ultimate team game. And the defense didn't take away the ball enough. We turned the ball over too much on offense. And, yeah, Drew led to that in this last game. But when you look at four years total, they didn't play well enough in the playoffs. But when you look at his career, it's hard to to say, well, he's an all-time great, but he didn't win enough Super Bowls. How many players can say that they did what he did for an entire city and a state and a region? I mean, not even Tom Brady can say he put, you know, t- took a team that was in the dumpster. And I know New England never had Super Bowls before him, but, and he did. He helped put Patriots on the map. But when you look at what Drew Brees did, coming to the Saints after Hurricane Katrina, taking a team to the NFC Championship his first game, winning a Super Bowl a few years later, I mean, I live in Dallas, and you can go to any part of the city, and you see Drew Brees or Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara jerseys, and people love the Saints. And uh, uh, Drew Brees put the Saints on the map. He made them, quote-unquote, America's team. Every time the Saints play on TV, they're one of the highest-rated, uh, most-viewed football games. So 
you can't you can't put into words what he meant to to an entire organization and what he did for New Orleans Saints football. Good stuff, Scott Shanley, our guest. So, what's your what's your prediction on what comes next? I know Mickey Loomis uh, was saying that he understands. You know, they've they've got a lot of cap money. Uh, excuse me, they they don't have much money. They're over the cap, and he's got work to do. But he doesn't feel like they're uh, in a chokehold or anything. He feels like they're still going to be able to compete. I, I I personally think they'll still be good, but uh, contender. I, I don't know about that, Scott. I feel like the depth is about to take a hit. That's just my take on it, but but where do you see them going from here this offseason? And, and, and the follow-up question I'll just ask now, particularly at that quarterback position for, you know, week one, 2021. Yeah, the easy answer is to say Taysom Hill because he's under contract. Um, he did win games when he played. Now there are people divided on whether or not they think he can do that over an entire course of the season. I'm in the camp that I don't necessarily believe that he's a franchise quarterback, that he could drop back 30 to 40 times a game if he needed him to and throw the ball. But Taysom Hill is one of the best football players I've ever seen. Uh, to do what he does at, at a pro level is is unbelievable. Um, Jameis Winston would be right there if you, in terms of thinking he will compete for the job. But Jameis is a free agent, and there are going to be a lot of quarterback movement throughout the NFL this year. And Jameis may get a decent deal somewhere. And the Saints don't have much cap room like you alluded to. So it's going to come down to dollars and cents whether or not they can bring Jameis back and compete with Taysom. Now, outside of that, you open up the world of, there are a lot of scenarios. I mean, you look at half the league is going to have maybe a different quarterback, and yeah. you're talking about being able to trade for Deshaun Watson. The list goes on and on. And, you know, I, I for one second don't doubt that Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton, we've seen it. They're always all in. They're always trying to win games. They're, they're never in a rebuild mode or, hey, let's take this year off and we'll get them next year. They're always trying to win a Super Bowl. So it wouldn't surprise me if they throw their name in the hat for Sean Watson and give up multiple picks because – to me, this roster is good enough to win games. It's not like you're going to go from a contender to three and thirteen and a complete rebuild. You're going to lose depth, and, and I think you said it perfect. You're going to. This has been a, the strength of the Saints team is the depth. Guys go out, and the next guy steps up and comes in, and play doesn't drop off, and that's very rare. But there are going to be free agents that lose. There's going to be guys they have to cut to get under the salary cap. But it all revolves around that quarterback position. How do they fix the quarterback position? Would I love Deshaun Watson? Absolutely, but I just think you'd have to give up way too much for him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think friends of mine asked me, uh, you know, about Deshaun Watson. I, I I put it at like less than one percent. I understand he's got the no trade clause, but when you're as over the cap as much as the Saints are, and you got to get under it, and you need to hit on these draft picks, Scott, as you know, that controlled cost on the rookie contracts. There's only, you know, I mean, you could count on two hands the number of teams I think who definitively know this is our starter week one next year. That's a lot of movement yeah. this offseason. That's for sure. I mean, and and as you know, the domino effects that starts in pro sports all starts with, with one move. One, one person makes a move, and then the dominoes start to fall because the Saints are going to be in the market for a, a quarterback. Like, you look at the Patriots. The Patriots are going to be in the market for a quarterback, Denver Broncos. The list goes on and on of teams that are going to try. The, the San Francisco 49ers are certainly going to try to look for a quarterback to plug in. And when that happens, it drives up the market value of everybody. And I, I think – 40% Taysom, 40% um, Jameis. As you said, it. I'm with you. I don't, I don't think Taysom Hill is the long-term you know, definitive answer at starting quarterback, even though he's one of the best, as you put it, football players we've seen come through the NFL. But he might be the only guy on your roster that's not you know, kind of a backup journeyman that has starting experience in the offense if Jameis signs elsewhere and you can't get you know, that viable option and you've got him at control costs for one year. I 
this offseason, man, it's it's going to be probably I, – I, I feel like I say this every year, Scott, but maybe this year more than any other. I think it's going to be the most interesting offseason the Saints have had in maybe maybe the entire history of the franchise. Well, certainly, and you know, especially with Coach Payton, because – you know, since he's been there, they started off with a great draft class in 06, and that, that kicked off the foundation of winning. And then just when things were getting, you know, or 14 and 15 and 16, and people were starting to, to talk about Drew needs to go, maybe they need to get rid of Coach Payton, you hit on a draft class like 2017. And now look what you did for four years. You won more games in the NFL than anybody. So drafting well is always going to be the foundation of winning in the NFL. And and if they keep doing that, they have a chance to compete every year. But right now the issue is the salary cap. You're way over it. The salary cap probably is not going to increase a whole lot because of the COVID season. That's going to be a huge issue for the Saints. And so what they're going to have to do is renegotiate some contracts of, of star players, roll money into later years. There may be some surprise cuts to get under the cap, but they they are they do have cap problems, but whatever you do, you can maneuver this cap to make it work. You have to have a quarterback position. You, you cannot go into the season. Look at the New England Patriots. We all saw Cam Newton play in Carolina, and what Cam did a few years ago playing the MVP season was unbelievable. But we've all seen in the past two years he hasn't been able to throw a deep 15 yard in route because of his because of his shoulder. The Patriots tried to utilize him this year. If you don't have a guy who can go back there, drop back 30 to 40 times a game, complete 65 percent of your footballs you're going to have a hard time winning this league. So the Saints have to get the quarterback position addressed. And this game of musical chairs, when it stops, you don't want to just be sitting there with Taysom Hill and nobody else backing him up and have another option. No doubt. Scott Shanley, our guest, great stuff. Former Saints linebacker, Super Bowl champion. It's Super Bowl week. We'll take a quick timeout when we come back. We'll get some Super Bowl memories from Scott Shanley from that great 9 season of the Saints and get his thoughts on Super Bowl 55, Bucks, Chiefs, who he's got and why. That's all coming your way. Don't go anywhere. It's the Great Scott Show, ESPN 1420 and .com. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Scott Prather. Scott Shanley is on with us, former New Orleans Saints linebacker. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Scott Shanley. Scott, I, I didn't mean to ask you about the, the 2012 season in the first segment. It, we, we spent a little time on it. I was planning on focusing mainly on just the Super Bowl, but – as you know, uh, you get a couple of Scots together, and we can go off on tangents. This is one thing I did want to ask you before I forget and we get back into the Saints. You grew up in Nebraska. You were a Cornhusker. You remember the heyday of that program when it was the best program in college football and year in, year out, like top two or three, if not number one. I think I've asked you this before, but I, I see you tweet about it and some of the players transferring. Can Nebraska ever get back to what it was, or has that ship sailed? Uh, unfortunately, I would have to side with I, I think the ship has sailed. I think there's, to me, there's three guys in, in football, who could, college football, who could go there and win right away, and that's Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, and Urban Meyer. I think those three types of college player, uh, coaches could go anywhere, and just because of them, they would grab a top-five recruiting class. And right now, Nebraska is having – you know, the whole move to the Big Ten has been detrimental to the program, more so than I think they would admit. My biggest concern when they made that move was was regarding recruiting. Geographically, you're located all the way west in a conference. How do you get kids to to come there and play? And I've seen, living in Texas, I've talked to some of the high school coaches here who used to be pipelines to Nebraska. And they said when they moved to the Big Ten, 
parents didn't want to go to Maryland and Rutgers and all these other places to watch their kids play. They liked when they used to come to Texas Tech and, and College Station and Austin and Oklahoma was even a, a three-hour drive for them to come go watch their kids. So they really killed their, their recruiting pipeline in Texas when they made that move. And that's why, unless they go back to the Big 12, I think that would jumpstart them in, into recruiting better and being more competitive. But I just don't see it. I, I don't see any signs, whether it's recruiting-wise or winning games, competing in the Big Ten. I mean, it used to be where you moved to the Big Ten and Wisconsin and Iowa were the teams you had to worry about. Well, now it's you're not even close to, to beating those type of teams. And it, I say that because I just think they're getting farther away from being competitive than they were five years ago. Understood, man. I Whenever I see Nebraska news, I, um, I had a, a friend back in the day, a little older than me, but he was just he just loved the Cornhuskers. I always think about him and you, and whenever it's just kind of more of the same, I'm like, man, I know how passionate that fan base and the alums are of that program, but it's just, it just feels like the current state of college football, if there's a path for them to get back there, it's something that nobody's thought about yet, you know, because I just, I, I don't see how it could happen, but, um, but I know how much you love the Huskers and, uh, in college football. I know how much you love the Saints. You spent the majority of your career there, Scott, and uh, you won a Super Bowl in 2009. And I usually talk to you a few times a year. Super Bowl week is one of them. Best moment from that year. I've asked you this before, but maybe it's not, you know, when the clock hit zero in Miami and you guys actually did it. Maybe it is. But what's the moment that when you think of that Super Bowl team, it's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, just the, the whole time in Miami, just that whole week, there were so many memories made outside of winning the actual game. And, you know, I, that's what I feel for – obviously, it's not going to affect Tampa Bay, but Kansas City, they only get to go down two days before the game, then they play the game and come home. And I know they, they experienced it last year, went to Miami. But some of the most fun we had that Super Bowl season was when we went to Miami and we got to practice. We practiced at the Miami Hurricanes, and obviously we had shocking Vilma on our team and we would rib those guys about the bad locker rooms they had and how they stunk. And Bill would tell us that smells like championships to me and all sorts of different fun memories that, that you, you don't think about, you think about the ultimate prize and hosting up the Lombardi trophy and getting a ring and, and that being the end of the journey. But that week down in Miami was so much fun practicing and um, just competing. We went to the Miami Dolphins facility and coach Barcells was there because obviously coach Payton and, and, Coach Parcells' relationship at the time he was there with the Miami Dolphins. So just there were so many things throughout that week that I tell people I have great memories about Watch, walking after team snack, and it's 1130 at night going up to my room and seeing Tracy Porter sitting in the DB room studying film and then him making the game-winning interception. I mean, so many guys prepared to make plays in those moments. It was a special group of guys that you just don't, you don't come across very often in pro sports, the unselfishness that that group had. Was there like one night – that you weren't involved, but a couple of guys were out past curfew. You know what? I don't. I, if if you made me guess, I really don't think we did. I, I remember early on guys saying, "Hey, go out during the day, do whatever you need to do." And Vilma and and some of those guys, Will Smith, our team captains, were like, "Guys, we we may never get back here again. This is one chance." You know, when we're forty years old, we'll go to Super Bowls and we can hang out and and do the media and, and go out and do the nightlife. But this, this may be one, t- one chance. So if you can't sacrifice staying in and doing everything right this week. We, we won't have any chance to beat Peyton Manning. So I think guys were pretty disciplined. There may be been a few stragglers 
few times, but I know on media day, guys went out that night because I don't think we had a curfew that night. But other than that, guys were pretty disciplined and, and pretty pretty focused on the business at hand. Scott Shanley, our guest, former NFL linebacker, Saints linebacker, uh, broadcaster now, analyst on Cox Sports Television, and uh, does the Been There, Done That podcast with Mike Neighbors. Um, great stuff there, good interviews. Some evergreen interviews with some former teammates of Scott and some good current stuff, obviously, on the Saints as well. Uh, you mentioned Jonathan Vilma a number of times during this conversation, Scott, and something that struck me earlier, Greg Williams telling you guys, look, I'm I'm, I'm calling the plays, we're going to be aggressive, but if you see something on the field you want to change, if 51 calls it, listen, right? Like, he had that, um, you know, whether it be the football IQ, just instinct, whatever you want to call it, in terms of the smartest defensive players that you played with in your career, where does Vilma rank? Well, he's probably the smartest. And, you know, I, I was with Dat Wynn in Dallas who really taught me how to play, be a pro, study film. And, yeah. and I give a lot of credit to Dat Wynn. He was a great college linebacker at Texas A&M, had a heck of a career with the Cowboys, was cut short through injury. But I had uh, the opportunity to learn under him what it took to be a pro. But when I saw Vilma in our defense as we became veteran-type players and then Greg Williams came in and said – you know, he would always credit us and told us we were one of the most mature groups that he had had. Um, unselfish. He, he goes, I'd be crazy to call a play and not let you guys adjust on the field, what you see. So he trusted us to do that. But Vilma was the main guy. He was the middle linebacker. He was the quarterback of our defense. And the Super Bowl against Peyton Manning, it was a chess match back and forth. I, I wish people could see just how much went back and forth between Peyton Manning and Jonathan Vilma in getting us in and out of defenses based on what Peyton was doing. So a lot of times, we would take it down to 10 or five seconds. He would make a quick check and it was a credit to the guys we had on defense who were cerebral enough to, to switch. And, and we won that game based on what we were doing out there and the chess match back and forth with Peyton and Vilma. Your boy, Scott Fujita was mic'd up for that game, NFL films. And, uh, and basically said, Peyton, I can, I can eat Oreos faster than you. Just a little subtle jab at a commercial Peyton was starring in at the time. What, who who is the most talkative guy there? And and I'm I'm guessing you know Anthony Hargrove. His trash talk might have been a little bit of a different style than Fajitas. <laughs> Anthony Hargrove was he was the character of the team, but everybody loved Anthony. He brought an energy and an entertainment value to our team that I don't think anybody else did. Uh, Fajita he never really talked a whole lot during games, and he was talking a lot in the Super Bowl. I'm like, what the heck's going on? Well, I found out after the game he was mic'd up, so I'm like, dang. <laughs> Scott, you're putting on a show for everybody because you had this mic on. But you know what bothers me is I still give him a lot of flack for this. He came up to me. It was during a TV timeout. He goes, hey, I'm trying to get into Peyton's head. What do you have? And I'm the one. I told him, like, well, make fun of the Oreo commercial. Tell him you can eat Oreos faster than him. And then he, he went and did it. <laughs> and then I think there's a clip where he comes back to me and goes, I told him a joke. He didn't really like it very much. <laughs> <laughs> and I just one. stood there. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't laugh at it. I didn't talk to him much about it. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to focus on winning a Super Bowl. You go talk to him more about Oreos and ask me anything else about what you should joke about with Peyton Manning. I'm going to strangle you. So uh, Scott really never talked a whole lot during games. We just, we had, a, we had a group of guys that were, you know, I, I was joke with them. Our motto should have been strictly business. We had fun, but when it was game time, guys were locked in and trying to do their job and trying to be accountable to one another. If you could mic up one guy on the Saints defense today, it's, I mean, who is it? And why is it, why is it Chauncey Gardner Johnson? <laughs> 
Well, just, I mean, guys, I, I don't, I think the sorest part of his body after games is his jaw and his mouth. I mean, I don't know how he talks so much, but you know, some guys, they talk that much and it helps them play better. For me, it would have been a distraction, but for him, you know, if he keeps playing the way he is, go ahead, keep talking. Do What amazes me about Chauncey is he's always talking, but he never, <laughs> he never is the first one caught. He gets in other guys' head. Even when you have the Bears, the guy gets ejected the next time they play, another guy gets ejected. It just shows you the power of trash talk and what you can do to guys to get them out of their game. So until it costs the team, I say keep doing it because he's playing great and he's one of the best defenders they have. He's got he's got a PhD in it, man. I mean, I I don't know how he does it. Some suggest it's more than just talking, but they got cameras all over the field. I mean, they got mics all over the field. If it was something beyond that, I feel like, you know, it would be all over the place. I think he just he just he knows mental warfare. He knows how to get in the opponent's head. It's an art. It really is. And I think as long as you are who you are and you stay true to yourself, you don't try to be something you're not. If I would go out there and try to talk trash like that, like Chauncey, I, I would play horrible. I would just get me out of my game. And likewise, if you told Chauncey, hey, be quiet, no more talking, just play the game, he probably wouldn't play as good. I think it, it motivates him. And, and then that's the one thing as a coach and what Coach Payton brings to a team is he allows you to be who you are. And whatever works and it doesn't distract from the team and gets you to play well, he's going to allow you to do it. Scott Shanley, our guest, ESPN 1420. All right, thinking back to that to Super Bowl 44, Scott, and obviously Tracy Porter's interception, everyone remembers it. Um, what, what is a defensive play in that game other than that one at any moment, any quarter, whenever it might be, where you feel like, gosh, that's an overlooked part of this game. That single play is not remembered by the masses, but it was a huge moment in the game. It was a it was a stop early. I think in the second quarter, we had a defensive stop, and, and Indy was driving, and they were already up. And if they would have scored on that drive, it really would have kind of put the nail in the coffin of the game. They would have they would have put us in a in a big hole. We had a stop early on defense, not early, but in the second quarter, and then our offense took the ball and actually went down, and scored, and it it completely changed the game. And when I look at the the way the Super Bowl turned out, I don't think it would have turned out in our favor had we not got that stop. And and Indy went up thirteen nothing or seventeen nothing would have made it extremely difficult. Yeah, there. It, it, to your point, I remember uh, later in the second quarter after Pierre was stopped short, you know, um, just you know a half yard from the goal line. I think uh, that next drive, Mike Hart, maybe you guys stuffed them on like a third and one, and so now Indy's punting and you guys go in down ten six, and then of course ambush and then. You know, seven plays later, Pierre's going in on the screen touchdown, and you have a lead. Small moments like that, like you said, you go down here. I mean, I get it. Look, Saints lost to the Bucks a few weeks ago in, in the divisional round. You, you take away that Jerry Cook fumble, if the Saints score a touchdown on that drive, I, just, I feel like they would have been playing in Green Bay last Sunday. And that's not to take away from Tampa Bay. I mean, Antoine Winfield Jr. made the play. He deserves credit. But it's making those plays, you know, a, a stop by you guys on a simple – I shouldn't say simple, but on a third one or third and two, you don't remember those as much, or maybe you don't remember them at all, but those those are the moments really that make a bigger difference than the ones that you're going to see on NFL films from now until, you know, the day we die. Yeah, and that's what makes NFL football so good is is the, the margin of error, error is so slim. It's who makes the play when it matters the most. And, you know, heck, for us, you look at the Minnesota Vikings game. If Minnesota didn't have 12 guys in the huddle, did they make a field goal and beat us and go to the Super Bowl? But the key was they did have 12 guys in the huddle. That's not our fault. But the key to that 
is Tracy Porter made them pay because they had to throw the ball to get back in the field goal range. And those are the types of plays that you either make or you don't. And when you look at the last four years of the Saints getting out of the playoffs, there were way too many games where you could look at every single loss they had, maybe outside the Minnesota loss last year in the wild card game, and say if they had made this play or that play, they would have won those games. And, and that's the difference between going to the Super Bowl and not. Scott Shanley, our guest, ESPN1420.com. Last question in regards to, to winning the Super Bowl with the Saints. I remember having a conversation with Pierre Thomas a few years ago about that moment, um, not so much right when the clock struck zero, but in the locker room after. Mike, I think it was Mike Neighbors, your, 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 uh, your partner there at Cox Sports and with your podcast. He was talking to Pierre, and Pierre was kind of like shaking, like he was so overwhelmed and as he described it to me, the the like some say, look, it took a while for it to kind of sink in. It was kind of surreal. You know, you hear that a lot, whether it be from a player or or a fan for that matter. But for Pierre, he's like, I just I knew it, and I was in. It was just to envision it at a young age, and then to be a part of it. It was such a. It was it was just this incredible feeling, and I was just overcome, right? And he's just shaking with emotion, not crying or not smiling, just in that moment. For you, was it just? Was it party time? Was it, I can't believe this happened? Did it did it sink in right away that, man, I'm a Super Bowl champion and this is forever? Or did it take a while to really get a full grasp of just how big that moment was? No, I, I realized it sprinting down, chasing Tracy to the end zone, realizing, wow, who would have ever thought, you know, being a small-town kid, playing eight-man football in Nebraska, walking on Nebraska, being a seventh-round pick, and you're about to be a world champion, it kind of – it kind of all flashes before your eyes in those moments. But for me, I wanted to sit, I didn't want to take my uniform off. I wanted that whole night. I wanted it to last forever. I didn't want the next day to start over and us get in the plane and go home. It was so much fun that I wanted to live in that moment a lot longer than we were able to live in it. But thank goodness for, for the media and you have pictures and you have interviews and things that you can always relive those moments that make it, that make it really special because Heck, if if I could still be sitting there <laughs> on that podium with the trophy, I think I'd still be sitting there because it was it was a feeling that you just can't get. It, you just wish you could bottle it up and let everybody feel what it feels like to be in that moment. I know you you have uh, Scott Shanley, our guest, ESPN fourteen twenty. I'm Scott Prather. I know you have three children, Scott, uh, two boys and a girl. Now your your daughter wasn't born yet, but your boys were there, if I'm not mistaken. But they were very young. Do they do they remember it? Do they ever ask you about it? Yeah, we have they have pictures in the room of them there, and they both said they remember parts of it. So it makes it more special when you know it's fun to watch Drew with his kids being as old as they are because they're really going to remember the things he was able to experience. But yeah, they remember parts of it, and I'm I'm just glad they were old enough to enjoy the post game festivities and and be involved that way. Good stuff. All right, Scott, I want to get your thoughts before we let you run, and, and we always appreciate you taking time. And 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 these lengthy interviews are great. Um, this year's Super Bowl. Odd for all kinds of reasons. The COVID season, Tom Brady's 43. He's a Buccaneer. Games in Tampa, limited attendance. The Chiefs, you got this young guy in Mahomes that just does things we've never seen before. Andy Reid has continued to evolve. The, the, the storylines are, are plentiful. I feel like Tampa Bay's defense is not getting enough Enough pub, right? Uh, I get why the national media would focus on Tom Brady, but that Tampa Bay defense is ferocious. I, um, I've i kind of gone back and forth. I, I think I like Kansas City in this game. Um, I know they're a three-point betting favorite, I think. Take it for what it is. But who do you like in this game and why? 
Yeah, I think the safe pick for me is Kansas City just because of Mahomes and what they've been able to do for the past two years. And and Tampa Bay, they're secondary to me. I don't think they're going to be able to cover the Chiefs receivers. And, and Tampa Bay has been – they've been playing great football. I can't take anything away from them. But I just think over four quarters, they're not going to have the firepower to keep up with, with Kansas City's offense. All right, Scott Shanley likes the Chiefs um, at Scott Shanley on Twitter. You can follow him there. You can listen to the podcast that he does with our friend Mike Neighbors. Uh, been there, done that. I was listening last week to uh, the one you guys did called Life Without Breeze, but a lot of good insight there and all the stuff Scott does, especially during the season on Cox Sports Television on the weekend. Scott, I appreciate the time, man, and um, maybe this summer. You can reach out to Fujita, and and I'll just – I would love to have you guys on at the same time because I feel like if y'all start swapping stories, it could go anywhere. <laughs> that would be great. I'll let him know. I think he'd be up for that. All right, man. Well, all the best and uh, to the wife and kids, and we'll talk to you again in the future. Appreciate it. Thank you.